Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today as we discuss the tax advantages of investing in commercial multifamily real estate. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you today for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. Today, we're going to be talking about the tax advantages associated with commercial multifamily real estate. Commercial multifamily real estate, the way we invest at Mora Polling and the way you may be invested with us or other firms like us, or even if you've invested in maybe the residential space, uh, although maybe not quite as much, and we'll talk about those differences, um, not only provides cash flow and equity growth uh, in a secure and stable environment, but does so with some unique tax advantages. And we wanna talk a little about that today uh, in particular, because we're heading into tax season, and you might think, gosh, it's just the beginning of January. What do you mean we're heading into tax season? Well, uh, we've closed the books on uh, 2018. We are working with the accounting team right now on getting the tax returns prepared so that we can meet all of our uh, reporting dates uh, and generating our K-1s for our investor clients. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about K-1s. And one of the critical elements that drives uh, performance uh, that ends up on the K-1, and that's the cost segregation study. Uh, so hopefully you'll, uh, you'll enjoy uh, today's uh, material. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, uh, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Uh, and we'll be happy to uh, to answer those for you. You can also find some great material at the Learning Center at marapolling.com, uh, future webinars that are coming up that you can sign up for, as well as recordings of uh, prior sessions that we've um, that we've held. So let's go ahead and uh, dive in. Our goal at Marapolling is to provide our clients with secure, stable, multifamily real estate investments that generate tax-advantaged cash flow and equity growth. So what do we mean by tax-advantaged cash flow and equity growth? So we're talking about taking advantage of the unique tax advantages that are afforded to real estate investing here in the U.S. And what those are is uh, they really fall into a couple categories. One is our ability to depreciate, so write off an asset that may and most likely is actually growing in value or appreciating. So we're depreciating an appreciating asset. And then when it comes time to sell that asset, because it has been depreciated and it's grown in value, we're able to take that gap, that delta, which is comprised of capital gain as well as depreciation. And we're able to push that out into the future via a 1031 exchange. So we're not gonna talk about 1031 exchanges today. We'll have another session about that to go into that in more detail. Today, we're gonna to talk about the K-1 and one of the primary drivers, or at least certainly one of the significant drivers uh, of the K-1, which is uh, for us, the cost segregation study. Um, so one of the reasons why we describe these as unique tax advantages is when you look at the other elements that you uh, most likely have in your investment portfolio, i.e. equities and bonds, you're not gonna find the same 
potential tax treatment. Now, equities certainly have the ability to go up in value over time. And when you sell them and exit that equity, uh, you do benefit from long-term capital gains, just as we do on the real estate side. So in that instance, uh, they're very similar. Where, where we see a divergence though, is if we're not actually ex uh, exiting that space. So I buy shares of XYZ stock, it goes up in value by 50%. I sell XYZ because I wanna buy ABC stock, well, I have to pay the tax, the long-term gain tax on that 50% gain on uh, XYZ, uh, which means I've got less money to invest in ABC. So I'm not getting a, a sort of little extra kicker or a little compounding there. In real estate, that's exactly what we get to do. We, we buy property A uh, and we hold it for a period of time, uh, say five years, and it goes up in value. And as we get to the end of five years, uh, when we sell that asset, we're able to take the gain and push that out uh, so that we can buy property B and use that money to help us along. So that's one of the differences. Again, that's really the 1031, and we'll talk about that later. The other difference that we experience is that we are able to shelter the distributions, uh, the cash that is generated by virtue of losses that the properties generate. Uh, properties have losses, rents come in, we pay expenses, uh, generally, uh, not in every last instance, but certainly in the properties that we acquire and the way properties are designed to operate in the commercial space, there's cash left over and that gets distributed to uh, investors. Um, that cash is potentially subject to tax. However, our income statement continues because we have other uh, deductions. We have a deduction for the interest expense on the note that we have. Uh, we use leverage on our assets as we would encourage uh, others to do. If you're looking at it, uh, even doing a residential investment, we'd encourage you to use some amount of leverage. Uh, and then we get to depreciate this asset. Uh, and that's one of the things that's really quite interesting is that, again, we get to depreciate an asset that's actually growing in value. Um, you don't get to do that with equities. You don't get to do that with bonds. Now, you might be saying to yourself, and maybe you're writing me an email as, as you listen to this, saying, well, wait a minute, equities get to do depreciation as well. If a company that has a publicly traded stock uh, owns a building or owns equipment, they get to write that equipment down, they get to depreciate it, uh, and you're absolutely true. When they're writing a piece of equipment down, unless it's a really unique piece of equipment, it is actually decreasing in value, right? So if they have a fleet of cars, they get to depreciate those, they're not worth more in five years. That depreciation uh, more or less is gonna follow the actual valuation of that uh, asset. The real estate they own certainly could appreciate in value. They don't own it though uh, as an investment. They own it because they're uh, they're using it as part of their uh, as part of their business. And you've got a whole double taxation thing that goes on. So we're not going to get into that. Um, one of the differences, primarily between equities and bonds and commercial real estate, is oftentimes commercial real estate. And that's the way we structure our investments at Mara Polling. Are inside of pass-through entities. So 
uh, an LLC or some other potential kind of structure in which that entity itself does not have any tax liability on that income, uh, it passes it through to the members. And it does that via this tool called uh, a K-1. Uh, and so you may have heard that term, you may have received K-1s. If you haven't, uh, a K-1 is simply a schedule that's part of a tax return uh, that is filed for these entities in which that entity says, here's how much money we made or how much money we lost, and here's all the people that it actually went to because we as an entity aren't going to be responsible for this uh, tax event, whether it's, again, a gain or a loss, profits, whatnot. Uh, it's, it's a function of the, uh, the members in this LLC, for an LLC as an example. Uh, and here's, here's how each one of them were treated this year. And so that K-1 has that information on it. When you look at a K-1, again, if you haven't received one, you can uh, go online, Google K-1, and you can pull up what, uh, what one looks like, and you can uh, get some more details. I would strongly encourage you, because we're not giving you any tax advice, if you want to understand how the inputs into the K-1 could potentially affect you personally, uh, go talk to your tax professional. And as we often encourage uh, on multifamily real estate investing presented by Mara Poling. Uh, if you don't have a tax professional, go get one. Uh, and it almost doesn't matter how large your portfolio is or what it is you're thinking about doing. Uh, you will benefit by having a tax professional to work with, not only in terms of having them help you in the preparation of your annual tax filings, but to help you with strategy uh, and what makes sense for you. It is impossible for me or anyone that looks and sounds like me to ever understand your tax situation well enough to give you tax advice. So get tax advice from your tax professional, somebody that understands your particular situation. So what we want to do today is just talk uh, a little more generally about what's in a K-1 uh, and why we care about the K-1. So uh, the K-1 has a bunch of interesting information. It has a, a section that talks about the partnership and has tax ID numbers and all that kind of stuff. So you know the entity that you're dealing with. Uh, and then there's information about you, the investor. And so it'll have uh, your tax ID number, depending upon how you've invested. Uh, it'll have uh, contact information for you. It'll describe whether you're an LLC or an individual um, uh, that's made an investment uh, and so on. And then it's going to have some information about your actual account, right? It's going to talk about uh, what share you own, how much of the losses or gains you experienced, uh, any additional money you may have put into the investment, all sorts of interesting things like that. Uh, what we really want to focus on are the two items in the K-1 uh, that really drive back to this benefit that we talked about. And that is uh, the distributions or the cash that are received and the uh, profits and losses. So uh, again, in real estate, we have an asset that's growing in value and generates cash flow. So we're just gonna make some numbers up for illustration purposes. So you've put $10,000 into an investment and over the course of the year, you received uh, a number of checks that totaled $800, right? Uh, so that's an 8% cash uh, return on your $10,000 investment. So your K-1 is gonna show that you received $800. 
And depending upon what else is going on in your life, uh, there may be some tax liability associated with you uh, receiving that. Again, your tax advisor is going to help you understand that. One of the things your tax advisor is going to be looking at is the other portion of the K-1 that we want to talk about, and that is uh, your allocation of uh, profits and losses from that particular year. And in an investment that wouldn't be real estate oriented, let's say that we all got together and we created an LLC and we're going to go uh, open a restaurant, right? And we we sign a lease and we run the restaurant and we're very successful doing it and we make a profit doing it and those profits get distributed. Um, well, if we don't have anything else that we can use to write that off, there's going to be some potential tax exposure there. In commercial multifamily real estate, we not only have rents coming in and expenses going out and the interest expense on the loan, which that might get us to a loss, but it most likely wouldn't get us to a loss, but then we get depreciation. Uh, and depreciation is a very interesting concept. Uh, it, um, uh, you can argue about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing from a, uh, a societal uh, or governmental or political uh, situation. Uh, we certainly look at it as a longstanding component of the uh, uh, so society's investment and support of the development of real estate infrastructure. Uh, and what depreciation allows us to do is to take an asset and to write or expense a certain amount of the cost of that asset over a period of time uh, such that we will get some tax protection. So on our income statement, after we get through the income from operating expenses, uh, and then we get to interest expense, uh, we then take some depreciation, which in many instances uh, generates a loss. And now we have a loss. So the K-1 not only says you received $800, but it might say that your share of the losses were $1,000. Uh, and so you're getting $1,000 in loss against $800 that you received in cash. And again, you're going to talk to your tax professional, remember, about what that means for you personally. Uh, but that's certainly a better deal than if you received $800 in uh, K-1 distributions with, uh, with profits as opposed to losses, or if you received that $800 in distributions from uh, some other investment that, uh, that you might have, like a bond, or, um, or more a mortgage investment or something else along those lines, which most likely probably isn't at that 8% level. Um, but that's that again, that's another story for another time. So where does this depreciation come from? Uh, in, in the simplest model, and this is generally the way people think about it, uh, our model is actually written the same way. So at Mara Polling, when we underwrite a property, we start with some very basic, extremely conservative assumptions. One of those assumptions is that we'll be paying, um, uh, that we'll be depreciating the uh, purchase price of the asset and that we'll be depreciating it uh, on an 80-20 basis. So 20% of the purchase price being allocated to land. Land does not depreciate in value. Uh, and 80% being applied to the improvements, meaning the physical structure and the fixtures and all the other improvements that have been made on the land. Uh, and then you take that 80% and you depreciate it over a period of time. 
Now, the IRS allows for the depreciation of rental assets over 27 and a half years. Uh, so if you were to purchase an asset uh, for um, $100,000, let's say we're talking about an individual, um, you're buying a condominium, you buy a condominium for $100,000 and you applied this 80-20, you'd say, well, I've got $80,000 to depreciate and you do that over 27 and a half years. And the reason I use that residential example is that's really very common that uh, residential investors uh, use a straight line methodology uh, for a variety of reasons. On the commercial space, uh, some commercial operators will do the same. Um, it's simpler. There could be some other strategic reasons they might think of doing it that way. Uh, we uh, at Mara Polling use cost segregation studies. Uh, so if you think about when we buy a property, so we buy a property, it's not $100,000. So let's say we go buy a property and it's a $10 million property. Uh, and again, we just think about it in terms of that 80-20 to, um, to start with. So we've got $8 million to depreciate. Well, what did we buy for that $8 million? Well, we bought the entire property. So we bought foundations. Foundations sound like they would last 27 and a half years. That, that sounds like that would make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, we bought the structure itself, right? There's two by fours and, you know, big joists and, uh, you know, all sorts of hard asset, right, that's built into it. Uh, that you'd look at and say, okay, that, that makes sense. That's 27 and a half year kind of stuff. Um, but you know what? We bought, we bought mini blinds, right? There's blinds on all the windows and some of that $8 million bought mini blinds. Um, it's a really small amount, but some of it went to mini blinds. Anybody listening out there think mini blinds are going to last 27 and a half years? Uh, even if you took really good care of them, I think you'd be stretching the imagination to say they last 27 and a half years. Um, how about um, uh, how about carpeting? Uh, you think carpeting in a multifamily property is going to last 27 and a half years? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I'm not, I'm not thinking that. What about appliances? Um, refrigerators? Anybody got a 27 and a half year old refrigerator? I'm sure somebody out there is going to raise their hand and send me an email. Uh, by the way, you can email me, pat at marapolling.com, if you have questions or comments. And somebody may and say, yeah, I've got a refrigerator out in my garage I've had for 30 years. Well, good for you. Uh, it's probably a big energy drain, so you might want to look at getting a new one. But, uh, but it's possible. Uh, Certainly the uh, kind of use that uh, appliances experience in a multifamily situation, probably not going to last 27 and a half years. Well, gosh, I would love to be able to write those off based on what their actual life cycle is. How would I do that? Um, well, I'll, I'll just go through and kind of make up a list myself and write them off that way. You are completely able to do that. And you will most likely get a call from your uh, or a letter from your friendly IRS uh, agent saying, we need to have a conversation. Uh, the requirement that the IRS has for us to uh, do that depreciation on a more accurate basis is to use something called a cost segregation study. 
So uh, we contract with an outside firm. Uh, we've got some really nice folks that do this uh, work for us. Uh, there's lots of great people out there in the industry, uh, but these are third-party appraisers that not only uh, create an appraisal of the asset, but do a very detailed analysis of uh, what occurred and what assets were purchased, and then allocates them along the appropriate schedule for them. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that's still on that 27 and a half year uh, schedule makes a lot of sense. Like I said, the actual structure, foundations, other other things along those lines. But then you start getting into other items like um, maybe there's some covered parking or a swimming pool or uh, fencing. You know, those those items are are on a shorter uh, time frame. Uh, uh, office furniture, computers, and then like I said, some of the real short-term items like. Uh, carpeting and window coverings, blinds, uh, appliances, those sorts of things. Um, and so when you apply that, what you'll see is um, not more depreciation, right? There's still only $8 million to depreciate. Um, but instead of doing that over 27 and a half years, you're going to see much more of it happen in the early stages of ownership. Uh, because a lot of those assets are five-year assets. Some are sevens, some are 15, and some are 27 and a half. So by the time you get through five years, you've depreciated all the five-year assets, almost all of the seven-year assets, a, a third of the 15-year assets, and um, you know roughly 20%, not, qu not quite 20% of the 27 and a half year assets. This means that when you've done that kind of an assessment, you're going to, in the first five years or so, not depreciate um, uh, you know, a dollar. Um, let's say that's the baseline number. You'd have a, a dollar depreciation if you did 27 and a half years. Um, pardon me. <clears throat> um, you wouldn't have a dollar of depreciation on a straight line basis. You'd now have maybe a dollar and a half or two dollars or even two and a half dollars of depreciation. So what that means is over the first one year, two years, three years, four years, five years of the hold period, you're going to have uh, less income, uh, most likely losses for the first year, second year, third year all depends on the particular asset. And then even when you start to have gains, the gains will be smaller because of this depreciation. Um, so that ties directly back to your K-1. So when we go back to that K-1, when you've got $800 of distribution and you've got that $1,000 of loss that was allocated, part of that $1,000 of loss is because there was depreciation there. Um, and if you've used a cost segregation study, it might actually be $1,200 or $1,400 or some higher number uh, in terms of a loss because there was more associated with that. Um, so depreciation is a great tool to be able to use. Cost segregation studies uh, are a wonderful tool. You may recall a moment ago, I said that most residential investors, people that own duplexes and fourplexes and single family rentals and such, um, don't use cost segregation studies. And the primary reason for that is this, is they cost money, right? You gotta write a check to do it. And this is one of the places where scale has value, right? So uh, when I do a cost segregation study on one of our assets, 
100 unit, 200 unit, 400 unit property, the cost per unit of doing that is very, very, very small. If we only had a fourplex, it would be cost prohibitive to do that um, study. Even if I were able to get it done uh, much less expensively, uh, it would still be cost prohibitive relative to the value that it's going to, um, to generate. So you tend not to see it on uh, residential properties. You may not even see that on smaller commercial properties. Uh, at Mara Polling, we target the 100 to 300 unit space. Uh, and that's typically where, um, where you're gonna see that come into play. Um, now, when we do get ready to sell that asset, we're gonna have some appreciation, some capital gain. We're also gonna have all this depreciation we've written off. Uh, and some of that uh, could very well uh, be pushed out by a 1031, potentially all of it. Um, but someday we will, uh, the piper will, will come uh, and ask to be paid. Um, generally when we exit, uh, do the final exit from a chain of assets. Uh, and when that occurs, there'll be long-term gains taxes to be paid, uh, and there'll be some depreciation recapture, uh, which is at a number of different rates depending upon how the assets were uh, depreciated, which again goes back to that cost segregation study. Um, regardless of what rate they're, they're um, captured at, recaptured at, um, it's in the future. So not only are you paying with future dollars, which even at a modest inflation rate of one and a half, two, two and a half, three percent, those dollars are less purchasing power than now, um, but it's off in the future. So we've had the value of being able to use those tax dollars now to continue to grow the value of the assets. And so 1031s are great. We'll have another session coming up on 1031s here in a bit uh, that will help flesh that out in a little more detail. Um, when you're looking at tax advantages in a commercial multifamily real estate investment, uh, one of the largest ones is going to be the fact that as a pass-through entity, you're gonna get a K-1, and that K-1 is gonna have losses that are derived from depreciation. And depreciation, not accelerated, but extremely accurate depreciation can be derived by using a cost segregation study. So if you have interest in working with us, give me a call, shoot me an email, be happy to talk to you. If you are working with others, this may be one of the topics you wanna to ask. What's a K-1 gonna look like? Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're forecasting in terms of potential uh, uh, profits and losses and distributions? And you might ask about depreciation, what that individual or sponsor's depreciation strategy is. Uh, I'd be happy to go through that with you. If you'd like to just learn more about it, again, you can shoot me an email. Please stop by the Learning Center, and uh, we've got some great material there that you can look at. Um, I believe we've got a, uh, a webinar on there called The Tax Man Cometh that you can uh, take advantage of and pick up a few more uh, details on some of these items. Uh, I am looking forward to continuing our conversation with you as we work through season three here in 2019. And thank you for joining us. I will see you next time on Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.